Drunk Botany, Episode 6. Place the glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Kreischer. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Phil Creation, and I'm doing something a little bit different today. First of all, I am not drinking. This is not to say that I have not recently, because I did start today by sampling an Italian liqueur called Luxardo, but this is going to mark my first on-location recording session. I'm on top of a mountain right now, somewhere in Larksville, Pennsylvania, and I am picking sour cherries at an orchard that is local to me. Today I'm at Jane's Orchard at an event that is, to my understanding, not necessarily open to the public. The wind is blowing, there's a dog around, there are some children who have taken over a small cherry tree and utilized it as a fort, but cherry picking has turned out to be the most fun I've ever had in a field since apple picking. I'm hoping to get a chance to talk to some of the proprietors of this orchard so that I can learn a little bit more about cherries themselves. But all of these trees are arranged into neat little rows, and they have beautiful rustic uh, ladders leaned up against them so that you can reach the higher hanging fruit, which is actually what I'm doing. The best trick that I've managed to find so far has been to crawl inside the tree uh, and to climb aboard, much like it's a trick that I learned from these children that are playing around nearby. But it is kind of cool to be able to walk around and do an episode at the same time. I have a bucket, which I believe that when full is going to hold somewhere in the vicinity of seven pounds of cherries. Now, what am I going to do with seven pounds of cherries, you might ask? Well, clearly I'm going to make a pie, because who doesn't? Um, But this wouldn't be much of a drunk botany show if that was all that I did. Uh, You may be wondering where it is that cocktails come into this picture. And the answer lies in an attempt to duplicate the Luxardo cherry, hence beginning today with a sip of the Luxardo liqueur. When I do the episode on preservation, probably later today, uh, chronologically speaking for me, uh, I'll talk more about that. But for now, I'm focusing on finding the perfect cherries for my project. I settled on sour cherries because I like a tartar cherry, and I know that when I preserve them or turn them into pies... There's always going to be a sugar component that really makes the flavor that's inherent in the sour cherry pop. My wife uh, makes an amazing pie with Asian pears, 
oh look, there's uh, farm trucks going by. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's really cool. The sky is also growing to be a little bit on the overcast side, and as I was driving through the winding roads of the mountains of Pennsylvania to get here, it was actually a beautiful and warm day. Uh, again, chronologically speaking, where we stand, it's just a couple days after the 4th of July, so I will resist making any puns on uh, George Washington chopping down cherry trees. I have here... Uh, a cherry that is not quite up to par, but I've already picked it, so I'm going to taste it. Mm. The tartness really pops. I really like that. I remember when I grew up at home, we had a wild cherry tree. It grew really small cherries that would stay in our deck. My mother hated it, but uh, I discovered at a fairly young age that I could eat them and spit the cherry pits at my brother, um, which, needless to say, did not make me a popular older brother. But I discovered much later that through much effort, these cherries could make a pie as well. And that, I think, is where I initially came up with my love of the sour cherry. There are many questions that I have to ask. I... Uh, don't know if the proprietors of this establishment care to be on the show. Uh, I do know that they are teetotalers and do not drink, and we're not particularly interested in the meat and potatoes of my podcast. But that's not to say that I can't take this opportunity to learn things. In the meantime, though, I'm really just having a really pleasant time picking cherries outside. I don't get outside very often. It's just to water my own garden and uh, mostly go to work. That's pretty much all I do. I imagine today's episode will be short, and I will probably make use of the pause feature for about the first time in this podcasting career. I'd been... Uh, there's a chicken off in the distance, too. Again, I don't know if you can hear any of this stuff, but it really does make for an amazing experience. I uh, just passed a small, I want to say, like a Mennonite uh, group of people, but then I saw them get into a car and drive away, so maybe it's just folks with a penchant for bonnets. Who knows? Um, I talked to them briefly, and they're going to be doing a whole series of preserves themselves. Preserving is definitely something I have to get into. I mean, most of my preserving experience has always been to um, preserve things as tinctures and alcohol, which, again, will probably be what I do when I try to duplicate this Luxardo cherry, which I'm really, really excited for. Luxardo cherry is supposed to be like the end-all, be-all of cocktail cherries. And again will probably be the immediate follow-up to this episode. And I apologize in advance if this seems a little bit boring as a lead-in to an episode. But remember, my hands are consumed with the task of picking cherries at the moment. So they can't really be uh, holding rocks glasses full of uh, liquid.
Plus, I do eventually have to drive home from this place. Oh my gosh, there are chickens. There's like five chickens just walking around down by where the cars are. There's also a dog on the loose over here. He seems to be pretty chill. Thought he was going to bite me, but he did not. But in the meantime, I believe that I've gotten enough cherries for my projects. And we will reconvene in a moment. Apologize for the hold up there, but I've relocated to inside my car. Um, I just finished speaking with the proprietor of Jane's Orchard, and I asked her some of my questions. I was curious about growth habits of the cherries themselves. And she explained to me that the cherry plants, or the cherry trees rather, that are on the property have been there for over 35 years. When I asked if they had started from, say, the pits of the seeds, she told me that while they're not from cuttings per se, they did come to her from a nursery. I had asked this question because there was a book that I read back in college called The Botany of Desire, and it discussed apple trees and how they don't come true from seed. And I was curious to find out if cherries had a similar uh, growth habit. I would assume that they do, but I did not get full clarity on that point. We segued from that to a really interesting conversation about changes in the agriculture business. Um, I don't know if anyone out there listening to this show is also someone who likes to go pick their own fruit. But you will notice that fewer and fewer farms are doing pick-your-own. And this is to do with a lot of lawsuits. Uh, the proprietor of this farm actually told me that the only thing that they still do is pick-your-own cherries because they kept getting sued by people falling out of apple trees. I said that that indicates something very wrong with our society. Uh, that we would sue those most responsible for feeding us. But, you know, I also understand liabilities and such as they may be. And as such, thanks people for eliminating my ability to go pick my own produce with my own hands. Uh, anyway, I thought that that was very interesting because then she mentioned that there has been a shift in the industry away from farm-based stands and farm commerce and into agritourism. This is sort of like when the fair comes to the farm or the festival comes to the farm and there are pig races and things of that nature. And it's mostly there to entertain uh, children who are normally obsessed with their smartphone devices and for whom, say, picking cherries isn't quite enough today. I was very pleased to discover that these children were playing in the fields today while I was trying to record because it indicates kind of the opposite of what she was talking about. And I think that that sort of commercial interest moved on to a farm kind of gets away from the spirit of farming and agriculture. This woman was a true farmer. Uh, I, again, today's event for cherry picking was not open to the public. It was mostly just through locals and word of mouth. And I only got the opportunity to go because I knew that I wanted to do a podcast episode specifically about this 
far enough in advance that I wrote a bunch of different emails and made phone calls to any orchard in the area that I could find that specialized in sour cherry. I knew that there was uh, a season and that it was coming up soon, but I had no idea when it would be. And it turns out I was right to call because there's a lot of volatility in the cherry picking season, which this woman was explaining to me. For instance, there was another lady that I ran into while picking the cherries today who explained to me that there were no cherries to be had last year and the year before. Now, this has something to do with uh, like a like a weather phenomenon that hit us in the Northeast called the polar vortex. It was a, it was a, a series of cold winds that came down our mountains out of Canada uh, and it just caused like inhumanly cold temperatures. I remember the first time it hit us, I had been growing a specific patch of mint, like one plant of mint that my father had obtained through the Wrigley Spearmint Gum Corporation and nothing could kill this mint. You know, it came back bigger every year. The year of the polar vortex killed that plant and I still have not been able to repopulate it. Uh, I'm hoping that my dad still has an independent strain that he managed to hang on to because the polar vortex, while it hit New Jersey, didn't hit it nearly as hard as it hit the northeastern Pennsylvania region where I live. Anyway, this same uh, freezing phenomenon hit the cherry pickers ridiculously hard. Um, so it it crushed the harvest that year. And the lady that I spoke to in the fields told me that she had been fortunate enough to have frozen her cherries and she was able to still have one pie each of the year. So she was, I'm, I'm out there with my one bucket and she was out there with five or six, you know, she was ready for the apocalypse, this lady. Uh, anyway, I thought that that was interesting. And another thing that I learned about cherries today was that cherries do not get along with the damp. Uh, there were, as I mentioned, clouds rolling in today uh, that kind of forced me to leave the mountain. And they had actually wreaked havoc on last year's cherry season. Uh, hail and rain caused a lot of fungal infections to hit. And uh, it, it, it played havoc on both sweet and sour cherries so that they had no harvest during last year. Uh, again, we got hit with a really strange late rainstorm here in the Northeast. Uh, you'll probably remember from probably episode three or two, I forget which specifically, but I talked about losing all of my tomato starts in my hardening off process. Uh, it was heartbreaking for me because I had so many different heirlooms that I had obtained through seed trading and they were all gone. Well, it turns out the same thing played havoc with their cherries. And again, I was just lucky enough to get it. But as a result of hail and such this year, they did not have as many cherries on all of the plants as they had wanted in the past. So they couldn't open today's event to the public. So what I'd like to say is wherever in the United States or uh, abroad that you may live, I think that it's wise to do your research on what types of orchards are around you. Find out what they specialize in and when their produce becomes fresh. Make friends. You know, these people who produce our food industry uh, are some of the most important human beings on this planet. 
and uh, they're good friends to have. Um, I would like for people to be focused as much as possible on retaking their lives uh, through control of the foods that they eat. I had hoped to go a little bit more in depth, but I, again, did not gain consent from the proprietors of this orchard to put them on the air. And I wanted to respect that because I really respect what they're doing and I hope to return to their orchard for peach season or for cherries next year. Uh, so I look forward to getting in touch with you guys at a later episode where we will tackle the Luxardo cherry. I guess that's it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Drunk Bot. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week. 